You're listening to a Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. The sixth annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland interdisciplinary conference took place at NUI Galway in August 2016. The conference was generously supported by an NUI Galway President's Award for Research Excellence to Professor Stephen Ellis, the Moore Institute at NUI Galway, the Discipline of History at NUI Galway, and the Society for Renaissance Studies. As in previous years, the majority of papers were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media, in association with UCD's History Hub. There are now more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences freely available. To access this archive, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts or visit tudorstuartireland.com. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Lorna Maloney from NUI Galway. Her paper was entitled From Gaelic Lordship to English Shire, The McNamara's of Clare. So, in a view of the present state of Ireland, Edmund Spencer, the Renaissance English poet, compares the ancient origins of the McNamara's to, quote, the great Mortimer, who is forgetting how great he was once in England, and English at all, is now become the most barbarous of them all, and is now called McNamara. The Mortimers were the powerful martyr lords who had uncertain prospects in the 14th century, though they were later restored of their lands. And through Spencer's fictional character, Irenaeus, Spencer tells us about the builder of the Castle of Clare, being the Duke of Clarence, and that on claiming his inheritance in Thomond, he, quote, could not beat out the Irish again by reason of his short continuance, yet he did shut them up that would be the Gaelic Irish, within those narrow corners and glens under the mountain foot which they lurked and so kept them from breaking any further by building strongholds upon every border and fortifying all passages, amongst which he built the castle of Clare and Thomond, of which country he had inheritance and of the Mortimer lands adjoining. Now, we now know that the ancestry of the Gaelic McNamaras bears absolutely no genetic relationship of a Mortimer ancestry. But we need to analyse why it makes it more palatable to invent this genetic link. We can argue that the development of the McNamara Gaelic lordship and the existence of such a powerful Gaelic lordship in the new English shire of County Clare threatens those who are trying to take it over and consolidate position later on. But we need to assess the need for these strategies and we can see just how powerful the secondary Gaelic lordships were in Thomond. So by analysing the military force provided by the McNamara's to the Crown, the rights and tributes exacted by annexed territories exacted earlier on by the McNamara's and their development of lordship, an unusual story is revealed. We can concentrate on shire creation in Thomond by focusing on three core principles to achieve this. The need for security to effect the Tudor conquest. The subsequent taxation to resource it. And the new administrative processes consolidating these, these impact from, from shire to, to create the shire. So one of the things is to look at the appearance of Mortimer. Is, is it just a fictional account? Well, no, it's not. This was in the state papers. So the names of the gentlemen of Thomond who came to the Earl of Ormond and the names of their pledges in 1570. 
Because it would be one thing to have Spencer say in a fictional account, but how, does the, how do we know that that's how they really are viewed, that Mortimer exists? And we have the actual place becoming Mortimer, becoming a place, Tide McNamara, alias East Mortimer, John McNamara, alias West Mortimer. And that's the replacement of Clan Cullen, which is actually the tribal territories of the McNamaras. Now, 1570 is a very significant year, and it's very much the time when Conor O'Brien is descending into a rebellion and causing the Crown a lot of problems. So they may be wondering who they're going to pick when they're creating the Shire to support them in their, in their consolidation. And Sir Henry Sidney revealed the plan for the County of Clare in the province of Connacht and Thomond in 1568. A lot has been written on the origin of the name Clare for the county. It has never been popular to attribute it to its correct source, that of naming it after Thomas de Clare. However, it's hardly likely that Sir Henry Sidney bothered to retrieve the Gaelic word Clare, meaning small plank over a river, to name what was essentially a new English county in Ireland. Because he wished to re-establish the de Clare connection, those powerful magnates who had occupied Tredree and East Thomond in the 13th and 14th century until after the death of Richard de Clare at the Battle of Dysart O'Dee in 1318. Sydney was able to open up the old claims inherent in the Anglo-Norman conquest and could minimise 200 years of Gaelic lordship of the McNamaras devoid of a de Clare influence. The declared departure after the Battle of Dysart O'Dea in 1318 paved the way for the development and growth of the McNamara lordships. The Gaelic lordship of the McNamaras took advantage of the vacuum of power left by the demise of the declares to annex territories, uh, get out of their shared tribal area of e expand resources, demand rights and tributes from newly annexed territories from their Gaelic neighbours, and the McNamaras expelled the O'Kennedys to Aoni and Ara, the O'Gradys to a nearby Tungraney, the Shanahans and the O'Gradys were to take and, and were gone to West and North Clare, and the O'Gradys were to take on an ecclesiastical career path. The, they feature, we know that the O'Kennedys are in East Clare because there's actually a Kilo Kennedy in East Clare. When they move to Aoni and Ara in Tipperary, they're on the, they feature on the Ormond deeds along the McNamara's as indentured soldiers in the middle of the 14th century. And that's another source of income for the McNamara's in the 14th century when they're developing their lordship. The McNamara's gained significant power in the 15th century and even by the 16th century they're providing equal amounts of, of military might to the English crown as that of the O'Briens. The state papers in 1543 note that Anthony St. Ledger wrote from Dublin asking, quote, that an Irish captain called Sheeda McNamara, bordering on the said O'Brien lands and Lord of Clan Cullen in Thomond, uh, that it might please your majesty not only to advance him to the honour of a baron by the name of Clan Cullen, but also that he may hold such lands and possessions as he now hath of your majesty by night service to him and his heirs. Yet, less than 30 years later, the fixed locations such as Clan Cullen, the lordship of the McNamaras, 
Elizabeth I makes the case for, quote, such countries being reduced, being within the jurisdiction of some counties of their realm. So getting back to our premise of securing Thomond, Sydney began with the implementation of creating sheriffs in 1569 and on examining the letters in the Sydney papers and contemporary correspondence, uh, Elizabeth demanded the previous year that nothing be given in Thomond that would, quote, prejudice our rights and title being of our ancient crown. And I suppose just for the next part of the paper, by revealing the hybrid state of the baronial formation in the county of Thomond and the newly created county of Clare, we can see that by incorporating and replacing Gaelic lordship territorial divisions, it can show us how the Tudor conquest actually operated within the newly created County Clare. On the surface in 1570, Donal Ray becomes a, sec- a second sheriff. Uh, it's a, he's, it, so the first sheriffs of County Clare were Gaelic uh, with Tyg O'Brien and then you have the McNamaras. And it all seems to be part of the new administrative machinery. And it all seems that part of this power sharing is necessary to ensure the smooth transition from Gaelic lordship to English shire. We can see then that the Tudor administration are aware of the McNamaras and make make them more palatable by calling them Mortimers. And even but the Connor O'Brien comes back into favour, and that's when it starts to go wrong, really, for the McNamaras, because they quickly become disassociated with their clan territories. And Clan Cullen, which is clearly available, and these are the pledges, so you go through all those to find out your names of all the McNamaras. It doesn't just come up in a neat little transcribed list for you. Um, and this is the, the McNamaras. Showing they were thinking that was the monster in 1572 of a Robert Live map. And they're thinking about the sets of the McNamaras and so on. And they're actually thinking, well, you know, are they, like, they've got little plans for them and so on. They, they, may, they may be taking over. And you can see that that's just a, a clip of it at the time, you know, and it's the major sets and so on. Now, this was a very interesting speed map, 1610, but when you go into the detail, you can see the genealogical legacies of Donald Ray, who's who appears in 1570 in the pledges, and that's just bringing that up, that it's, you know, it, it's very important that they're located because it's showing that speeds maps are using older material to operate from because Donald Ray is long dead at that style. In fact, his children have been, ex- his eldest son was executed, so he, he's not around anymore either. So you, you have a, a very significant landscape here that you're looking at the, the powers that be and Ennis isn't on that in, in if that's supposed to be 1610 Killaloo and Quinn and all those places would be the places of importance back then so to ensure to, to consolidate um, just would say we're looking at the, the pledges and so on and we, we, we also have the fact that um, the Gaelic McNamaras succeed in becoming sheriffs in the newly created county of Clare. And we need to look at why the Gaelic lordship disappears so quickly, why Clan Cullen disappears so quickly. And how, where does it go? It, the land doesn't disappear, so what happens? We know that they were very powerful and so on. And this is what we're given 
with that transitionary phase after the, con- the composition of Connacht, which is the baronies be cre- being created in 1585, the barony of Tullin and Aspel, the barony of Tulla e Vigan. You know, you don't get those names. You get the barony of Tulla, you get the barony of Bonratti. That's what's always given as what's happening in the 16th century. And people are failing to look at the process of looking at this transition phase that is where the McNamara lands were and where their power was. So this is how it looks when you map it and you, you kind of just actually look at all the bounds of every, where everything is and so on. So Tullin and Aspel and Bonratti, there's no upper and lower and so on baronies at that stage and this is your transition phase. And this is how much quarters and so on which are very important as well. So to consolidate Shar status, it becomes necessary to provide forces, captains, and secure army personnel. And this is a, pre- a change, a complete change from the previous arrangement made by the McNamaras, which usually had provided the horse and foot to the English crown from the 14th century. It is interesting to note that the correspondence between Sir Henry Sidney and Elizabeth I are mindful of the need that, quote, there should be not such numbers of men of war kept as now, as commonly before by the captains, because they want to avoid the power that the McNamaras were wielding by providing the provision of horse and foot and thus being able to dominate the landscape. So security issues, a key characteristic of Shire characteristics, has changed from being supplied by the indigenous Gaelic lords, such as the McNamaras, to new newcomers. And it marks a significant departure on what had existed before. The baronial landscape of 1585 is a direct result of the effects of composition. It it doesn't presume, these maps don't presume that the baronies rely on the Trichiquettes because it's, not partially, it's only partially correct. It, that would not take into account the existence of the McNamara lordship from the fort developing in the 14th century and its adaptation due to Tudor conquest. So it's not as clear-cut as simply taking a Norman cantred, uh, which my good friend and colleague, Dr. Paul McCotter, does, and I fight with him all the time on it. And, uh, and uh, it, you can't just replace one with the other in a bounded landscape. There's a lot more going on there. Number one, there's an awful lot of land missing here, and there are 7,000 acres of a shortfall, and uh, this is where the complaints by Sir Richard Bingham of the relationship between the Whites and the Earl of Thomond come. The Whites would be doing a lot of the surveys and so on. And it has a ring of truth about it, because uh, Dunnock, the fourth Earl of uh, Thomond, is accused of cooking the books by John McNamara, and that they're gaining the lion's share. The expectation is that the quarters yield money such as £143 annually, and that made sense to the Tudor administration. That the lands were hidden, counted erroneously, with lands misreported, would not make sense to the Tudor administration. And indeed, they don't find out about it until Bernadette Cunningham refers to that in 1620 being found out in, the chance, in, in, in sources that there's, there's lands been found here, there's money missing. And uh, Dunnock is well ensconced at that point of being the president of 
uh, of Munster. So he's, he's well established at that point. So the demand from the English administration is that this type of rent, if they didn't have the money, they could pay, quote, good and lawful beef is often largely ignored. The fact that it's good and lawful beef is very significant, as beeves and male cattle were ideal for feeding a military force, being far more malleable than cows to get around the countryside. And you didn't need the milk. You don't need people to be looking after cows. They're hard work. Beeves are a different kettle of fish. You can live off them. They subide, they subide your, your uh, resourcing for an army. And there's a far more yield for a moving uh, military force for that. So the taxation just doesn't show us monies or resources, but how the indentures work, what the Gaelic lords are expected to give up and extinguish forever. And in this case, John McNamara survives. He's always given up as this token. Well, he's there, John McNamara's there, the rest of them are not. John does become a member of Parliament. John does keep some of the lands, but the rest of the McNamaras lose all their lands. So it's not so much what one person keeps, but what the rest of them lose. So elections and customary divisions of land cause great strife and contention. And another thing just to mention, the new sheriffs become the Cusacks, the Cruises, and the relationships and so on is that they, they swap those, they keep exchanging. They, they, you'd have the Cusicks, the Cruises, the Sherlocks, and it goes back to the Cusicks, the Cruises, and the Sherlocks. So they hold power, and the, Gael, the, the Gaelic ones do not. So just on my final piece to, to finish up would be that we get a Shire capital. We get the town of Ennis, which is really important indeed. And it... It's important for a Tudor administration to get away from what was there before because they have far more control over it. And it leads them that, that they can... The, Ennis is in the enviable position of enjoying a geographical detachment. It's within the influence of the Earl of Thomond. It's chosen because the Assizes have commandeered the location of Ennis Friary. And um, 70 people were actually killed in the Ennis Friary in this small little jail. That was the jail, the original jail. It's tiny. You can see it's not going to hold 70 people uh, for very long. And they moved the jail then to where the old ground hotel is today. And it's important to realise that Ennis, though, doesn't get a licence even to hold its fairs and markets until the 10th year of the reign of James I in 1612 and 1613. Yet it's dominating a landscape from the minute it's told it's going to be a, the creation of a shire town. So Ennis Friary just originally had been the start of it all for the McNamaras. They, they started to bury their chieftains and kings and, and lords beside the O'Briens there. Their tombs were there before they bought them over to Quinn Abbey in the 15th century. And with that, I don't want to go over time, so I'll, I'll leave it at that, and thank you. Thank you for listening to this Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. If you would like to access the archive of more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. All podcasts are freely available on iTunes and on SoundCloud. For more information on the annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference, visit the conference website, 
at cheaterstuartireland.com.